Saving money on exterior wall lights. Now at Menards. Find your style with Patriot Lighting. Exterior lights enhance the look of your home. Choose from over 50 options from Patriot Lighting. Now through May 19th, get $10 instant savings on a single qualifying purchase of $100 or more on in-stock outdoor wall lights. Check out our entire selection of outdoor lights and see the rest of our deals happening now on Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. We have a lot of videos of the podcast and various other tutorials on YouTube. You can subscribe to our channel at mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash YouTube. Happy mixing and enjoy the show. One, two, three. Hello and welcome back to the Mixing Music Podcast. I'm your host, DK, and with me as always, Sweet Lou. Hey, how's it going, guys? <laughs> Is that a satisfying nickname this week, I guess? Uh, I'll take it. You know what? One of my favorite movies was Grind, and there was always this guy named Sweet Lou. Oh. But uh, he was also kind of a creep, so I don't know. Mixed feelings, but I like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, sounds good. Well, today we have a really good episode planned for y'all. In the sense that uh, this is a pretty d- broad topic that we want to break down different points and perspectives from. The, the theme of today's episode is adaptability. Now, we did have a couple episodes ago, we had an episode all about gear. And we want to take that another step as well as adapting to gear in our modern digital age, as well as adapting in the studio. Like as a tracking engineer, you have to be able to adapt. You have to be able to adapt your business as well as your workflow. Um, and uh, there's different times that you have to adapt in order to survive. It's adapt or die, right, in anything. Exactly. I can name many. Se- actually, the sessions I'm working on now, uh, you know, the use of an analog console came in handy, which many people would refuse to have nowadays, but we wouldn't be able to do what we did without it in the way that we did it. Yeah, exactly. So I think that that is a really good topic to kind of jump into, adaptability. And the first thing I like to start off with is within tracking. So if you are recording, um, we we call tracking in the industry. If you are tracking people um, in your own studio, at other people's studios, one of the things that you might have is a little template. Now, I don't always think that templates are super necessary, but in the professional world, they are. They definitely are. Even I am admitting that templates are something that is very necessary in the professional tracking world. and we were talking about having organized templates and organized sessions to yeah. speed up workflow. And so how some templates and some sessions, they need to be adapted for an artist. And as well as while you're tracking, there's different styles of tracking. So mm-hmm. some people like to you know, uh, have a record track. Some people like to record directly onto the track. And like, there's different ways that you can watch. So like, it's a good thing to watch and study different tracking engineers because then you can see the different workflows and styles that someone uses. I know a few engineers, for example, Thirst, who doesn't – I don't think I've ever seen him use playlists. He'll just drag them down nope, and mute them. Yep. He'll just drag them down and mute them, and until you get a good take, he'll just keep them muted. Yep. So he doesn't really use playlists. So – there's different. So how, how do you find adapting necessary in the tracking world? Yeah, so I came from the thought that uh, you don't want to just know how to use the gear. What you want to do is you actually want to understand why people actually chose that specific gear for a specific job. A lot of people will say that the 1176 Blue Stripe is the best and then Revision E and Revision G. And you see a lot of people like there, there's the diehard fans that this is the best, this is that, blah, blah, blah. Doesn't matter. I don't really care. Reason being is this, um, 
I'll take it back to analog consoles, like I said. Um, many people see that analog consoles are no longer needed in the extent that they were before. And I agree with that. I don't need an SSL 9000. Honestly, I can make do with an AWS 24 channel. And even though that's a lot, I've also been able to make do with just a Mackie mixer. It's funny because the needs of the session is different, but adapting to today's recording habits versus yesterday's is also the reason that you can both find a job and lose a job. Now, I know people who've never actually used an SSL, and that's okay, that's fine. But if you walk into an SSL-based studio and they say, we need to track a live band, it's all got to go through the board, and we need six different cue mixes, and they don't have something like an Avium or a hearback system, and you got to do that all yourself, you have to understand how consoles work and the theory behind why you choose one method of workflow versus another, right? Most people nowadays, they only track in Pro Tools. They can create cue mixes in Pro Tools. They do all that, so you don't really need the console, but you have to be able to adapt if you're trying to get into the professional world into understanding the mindset behind certain gear. So when we talk about mixing, yeah, you can do it in the box. Uh, when it comes to tracking, there's certain things you need to be able to do on the way in. For instance, compression. Sure, you, you can compress the vocal going on the way in. Today, we're actually using distressors, but distressors are actually one of my least favorite compressors for the tracking process, unless I'm doing rappers. Rappers, I love distressors on. If I'm doing R&B vocals, I like the retro instruments double wide. If I'm doing standard pop, hip-hop kind of sound, the CL1B is a great fit. But personally, I love the 1176 LA-2A combination. What does this have to do with anything? It's just saying you can't stick to one workflow and expect to grow as a professional. So adapting to new and old gear, new and old ways, it's all about learning the mentality behind it and why it plays such a big role. Like, why do analog consoles still exist if they don't really serve as much of a purpose as they did yesterday? You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that this also can go into the idea of adapting in a home studio. So that was an example of adapting in the in professional world. Yeah. But at home, like, for example, you might have a focus, right? Or something similar of that vein for an interface, and you only have one headphone output. Now, if you're tracking yourself, that's fine. But if you're tracking someone else, having a splitter is a way of adapting. You don't need to get a headphone amp, although that would be an awesome thing. But maybe for the time being, you just get a splitter. But the idea that you can adapt on the spot, the idea that you have a splitter there or something like that, right? Maybe because we can't use a CL1B, you figure out, you get an Apollo system so you can compress on the way in digitally, right? Um, maybe you adapt and figure, there's a lot of ways that you can adapt as well as the home studio. So um, the big process or the big thing that we're trying to pull, say with this is that you have to adapt in all sorts of ways. It's, it's our world moves too fast and is in too much demand for you to not be able to adapt. Uh, this is a very broad statement that I think I'm going to get a lot of hate for but I would say, unfortunately, I unfortunately, I think that it's been pretty clear that the rock genre, the culture was not able to adapt. At first, it was a very, it was like to be a rock star was very, very sexy. Like people were literally sex icons, right? In fact, Steel Panther brought that back, even though it was gimmicky in the way that they did it and very um, jokingly, 
they they played their role into it just to actually sell tickets to their shows. They did the classic hair metal look and everything, and they were always doing the bulgy pants and everything. Yeah. And all their songs were just talking about rock star lifestyle. So, yeah, you're right. So, but I mean, like, as a culture, the genre of rock is no longer mainstream as much yeah. because the culture was not able to adapt. Who are all the sex icons now? It's literally hip-hop artists, hip-hop yeah. and R&B artists. Right now, like, that's who's cool. And granted, I think it's because that a lot of people in the hip-hop R&B world are also young. Um, so there's a look to it, and maybe there's some age involved. But the point is, somehow, hip-hop and R&B has adapted from being this very local, niche kind of specific areas into this. Now everybody and your mom listens to hip hop of some kind. <laughs> yeah. Like literally, like there's something cool about hip hop and the culture was able to adapt to accommodate everyone. And, and dare I say, soldier boy was a big part of it where he yep. had this, like because of soldier boy, like hip hop was able to go into huge, like huge untapped white neighborhoods. Yeah. <laughs> like, like I didn't, I didn't know anybody that wasn't listening to soldier boy when he was big. And it was like kind. It was like kind of clean, even though he was talking about Superman in that hoe. And it was Which, like, yeah, wasn't it also Super Soak? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> something. It was something that, that hoe. Yeah, but uh, I I think it's incredible that somehow they were able to stay relevant by adapting to the times. Um, now as well as like I think that we'll stay on hip hop as a main cultural piece of genre as well, because hip hop takes a lot less work to produce. And to be honest, Post Malone and all these huge R&B, he's pop, but it's like a lot of R&B influence, hip-hop influence. Like, it's way cheaper and faster to produce and write these songs for those genres than it is to get an entire band together, hire musicians, hire a writer that can yeah. notate everything. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, it's a lot easier to also just... So, of course, they were able to adapt Right, yeah, so yeah. I think there's a lot of adapting that happens in the mix in the music industry. So now I'm going to ask Lou, like, what are some ways that you see adapting taking place in the mixing world? Well, uh, a lot of people used to actually have to send a file via mail. For instance, uh, back in the days of tape, ADAT tapes, um, uh, in some cases cassettes. Um, but we don't really do that anymore. We can send files almost anywhere. And as long as you have a compatible software, you don't really have to worry about it as much either. And the reason I say this is a way that we have to adapt is because we not only have to adapt the way we actually receive sessions. Some people send out stems, some people send out the sessions themselves, but realistically, some people don't require the same tools anymore. Some people are actually minimizing their list on purpose. And I think we just spoke about this. Uh, uh, Maxton, if you're listening, you know, I remember he was saying about how he was actually minimizing his home setup because he went from going to a bigger room down to his apartment. And um, what's funny is I did a similar thing. I went from my apartment, which had everything from drum sets and everything, down to the bare necessities. At one point, I just kept my converter, my monitor controller, some good monitors, and some good headphones. And that was it. I really went back down to square one. Um, but when it comes down to mixing, you can do it anywhere. And for some people, they say, oh, well, you need a perfectly treated room, and you need things like you know ATC monitors, PMCs, uh, Oceanway. Who cares, honestly? If it sounds good, it is good. And the reality is most people are listening to it on their car or in their headphones or some stereo that they bought at Best Buy or Amazon that had really good reviews, but nobody actually fact-checked or went to the store to listen to before buying it. 
we're listening to it on so many different mediums. The reality is I know people who have one good pair of monitors and then they find all those other mediums like AirPod Pros. I think uh, we were talking about this, how we'll send ourselves a link from Listen To and listen to it on our phone using AirPod Pros, listen to it on the phone, and actually make mixed decisions based on how these consumer products are actually working. Back then, the consumer product was the NS10, which is, fun fact for you guys, the NS10 is not a studio monitor. It was redesigned into the studio world, but it's actually a bookshelf monitor that was sold pretty heavily in the in the consumer world that uh, i forget the name of the engineer who actually started taking it to different studios but he said if it sounds good on this it should sound good anywhere because it was a popular consumer item so so it's basically the equivalent of mixing on your airpods uh, yeah airpods your jbl pill or beat pill whoever i don't know who, yeah, who cares beat pill, yeah. <laughs> yeah realistically if it's a product that you see everywhere like uh, i remember i bought beats headphones and i'm not trying to Tur ourselves from any kind of sponsorships or anything, but uh, I think it's pretty I, obvious we're not a huge fan of yeah, Beats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not, not as engineers, we don't really want to buy Beats, but you have to understand the value and you have to adapt to the current market and say we have to mix to sound good on Beats. You have to now the loudness wars are arguably you know gone. Some people still mix loud. Some people now mix for streaming standards. Um, but we have to adapt to those things. But the reason that we do this sometimes too is that if you have you ever listened to a song that was too loud for a specific consumer item, like it'll start crackling, but then you listen back on another item and the crackling is not there. Some products just distort, some products just can't handle certain frequency ranges. I think a big part of what we're adapting to is we don't require a big studio anymore, and our reference material has come down to streaming quality um unless you go to the store and buy a cd or order it on amazon and now you're actually referencing the cd quality but let's be honest we're adapting to so much nowadays that the the biggest difference i'm seeing is people are mixing from their home from their car uh, actually was it alex Tumay that said he mixed in the backseat of an uber i forget who oh. it was somebody I, I know this guy is big his name is out there i'm sorry that i forgot your name I know, I know speaking. it wasn't in the back of an Uber, but Leslie mixes from his truck. Yeah, and see, people are doing that. I remember my friend Los, I, I sent him out uh, 10 songs to mix. I sent him out like, or I don't know if it was 10, maybe 4 to 10, something. Shout out to Los. But he mixed it entirely on his MacBook Pro speakers. And it actually came out pretty good. It's about learning what your mediums are and where people are going to listen to them. Still having reference material, but realistically speaking... We're we're adapting to a market where this job can be done anywhere. So, which goes into my point. I'm a big i I love this concept because one of the things that we adapt into is this idea that I see on Facebook and all these Facebook groups all the time, and people arguing about it, monitoring and using yeah. monitors versus headphones. And you know what? To a certain degree, I think those arguments are valid. To a certain degree. To a pretty big degree, but I understand where he's going with this. Yeah, so like, I'm not going to lie to you. If I, at my level, could not have a at least par or above par mix on any sort of device, then it is my fault. It is not the 
playback system, unless it's bad, like if there's a lot of like, you know, bad reflections. If like, you're having face coherency if, issues yeah, on a monopill. <laughs> yeah, if you're not really hearing anything, like, okay, if you're in a bad, okay, that's a different story. But to a certain degree, if I'm listening to PMCs in one room and I listen to the same exact PMCs in another room, that's going to sound different. If I listen to my ATCs, which I've had them now in three different rooms and three different positions, they sound different in all three rooms and all three positions. But I'm still able to make my mixes sound relatively the same or just as good no matter where I change and adapt to. When I'm on my headphones, now I'm because we have this studio and it's commercially rented out, sometimes I have to mix at home on my headphones and my I love mixing on my Yamaha HS5s. They're tiny, they suck, and I love it because it really pushes forward that mid-range. Like mm-hmm. and the combination with the specific pair of headphones that I've had that I've had for years that I know super duper well, they're muddy as crap, which is how I like it. So I can really <laughs> cut out that that mid-range and mm-hmm. mess with the mid-range to make it less muddy. Like um it's it's what you're used to as well as like it's adapting to what you have. The only time that you will ever use the same exact monitoring situation in the same exact room is if it's in your own personal room, whether it's in your house, your apartment, in a spare bedroom, or if it's at a commercial facility. Like even as, a, as an engineer, typically you're moving around a lot. You're never going to engineer in the same exact spot. You might have one spot that you're going to be engineering a lot more in, but um, if you are engineering from home, which is probably going to be most people listening from this, like people start off doing it at home and continue. It's nothing shameful about that at all. You got to learn that monitoring isn't everything. Like you might just have to get better and you might need some lessons. You might need some practice. It might just take time. Like to be honest, like we were just talking about this the other day. Like I've officially spent 20,000 hours just mixing. That's not tracking. That's this 20,000 hours of just mixing. Yeah. Which is like, there is nothing that I can teach you that is like hands on. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, you have to be there and you have to make the mistakes that I have to learn the stuff that I had to. Like, and that's 20,000. Like, that takes years. Yep. So there's no way that, like, I can't teach you everything. You can't learn it. Like, you have to experience it. I think that was one of the episodes that we talked about before yep. where. Like retrospect is a bitch. Like it's it's yep. like you you can't you don't know how bad you are. But like at the same time, like if you're getting better, if you want to get better, push those limits. Don't make your gear an excuse and adapt to what you have. Because honestly, like if I can make better shit than you on what you have, which I guarantee I can. <laughs> I'm teasing. I'm teasing. But I mean, like that's a lot of adaptability, and I think that's a big part of it as well. Is right now it's it's impossible for a company to survive in this marketplace if they make really bad equipment. Like it's yeah. if JBL, if the Yamaha HS5s were that bad, they would not have the money to make them. Yeah. Yeah. So that they would not be able to justify the actual construction costs because it's like, great, we're building about a thousand units, but we're only really selling like two hundred. Mm-hmm. And we have to re-up our order with our, you know, providers. And we haven't sold enough of these things. Like, might as well just cancel the line. Like realistically speaking. But you know, you're you're right. You know, that's kind of the funny thing. And that's where adaptability really plays in. Like, you kind of have to understand whether or not you are trying to take this seriously, where maybe buying a pair of AirPod Pros are not exactly what you want to do, but you know that one of the comments you've gotten is that they don't sound good in my AirPod Pros. And if you've never heard a pair of AirPod Pros, what in what direction are we readjusting the mix? We have to adapt the mix to the AirPod Pros now goes back to adapting all the time. Um, but, you know, we can also look at adapting as, you know, sometimes 
you have to adapt your mindset to understand what it means to be professional. Uh, what is it? The architect's first sin is designing a home for himself and not his client. There you go. I think that's a life lesson. I think if you buy a gift for your wife, thinking about yourself. <laughs> yeah. Did you buy yourself a gift or did you buy your wife a gift? Let's be honest. Yes. I think it's in that same concept. There. I think I did this once. Like Anna told me she wanted to play, learn how to play guitar. And I was like, oh, I'll teach you. So I bought her a Yamaha acoustic guitar. And I remember the day that like, I presented it to her. Like She didn't really play it much. I think I played it much more than she did. <laughs> there you go. That's, yeah. a, that's a life lesson you learn the hard yeah. way. Yeah, my bad, babe. But uh, <laughs> but uh, as far as adaptability goes, I mean, we can take this in any direction. I think the last direction we want to take this in um, before we close out the episode is uh, adaptability with clients and conversations. Um, <clears throat> like I said, with tracking as well as mixing, you got to be able to adapt for different styles, different genres in mixing, as well as for different clients and different workflows with tracking. Um, and to be honest, you got to adapt your conversation. Like, when is it appropriate to... Like, be that engineer that is extra creative is kind of taking on more of a producer role versus you are a button pusher. You are mixing it to sound just a slightly better version of exactly what I did. What, where are those lines? And you got to be able to adapt and be able to read into it. For example, I know for a fact a lot of my clients come to me because I change their songs just drastically. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I have spent a lot of my time fixing these mixes and then making them sound professional and sound like a million bucks, even though the original status was bad. And I, and I know that I, have, I probably have a little bit more hours because Lou spends a lot more time mixing stuff that has been recorded decently well, yep. like to a certain degree, right? So there's adaptability in that as well and knowing where the lines are and how to push them as well, right? Yep. I mean, uh, you've seen how I get with some mixes. Some clients, I, I care so much for their music that I will remix it four times in one night just because I really, really want it to come out perfect. And if it doesn't come out perfect at the same time, I'm not hurt. Because the reality is it goes back to the architect's first sin. You know, sometimes we mix a song for what we think is right for us only to get the note, it's not the right vibe. Or we get the note that, hey, I think it's too bright. And you're you're getting these notes and your initial thought may be like, what are they talking about? But at the same time, you kind of have to learn to check yourself and adapt to the mindset of it's not about me. My client paid me for a service that they believe I can do, but I need to prove that they can trust me to do the job at the rate that we had agreed on. Yep. And sometimes that means button push. And sometimes that means recreate it. For instance, um, I do a lot of mastering for people. And uh, one of the songs that I was sent recently had compression and everything on the master bus. And though it wasn't technically a limiter, there was a lot of compression happening. You know, kicks were sunken in and things like that. But at the same time, the song was so good. I was like, I'll work around it. You know, sometimes we adapt to a situation that we want to be in. Sometimes we adapt to a situation that we don't want to be in. Um, but it goes back to saying, like, we have to adapt to our clients sometimes. Like, some people want to know what they're paying in advance. Some people are a little more fluid with their money and can afford to just say, just bill me at the end, whatever the number is. You know, sometimes you get that with label situations. It's like, how much is the studio after they book the studio? You know, it, they obviously don't care. But sometimes you get people who want you to provide a gear list and all that stuff. And if that bothers you, then realistically, that's something you need to get used to. You need to adapt to the market you're in. But if Mm. you're doing this as a consumer, you're just doing your own stuff, then it doesn't matter for you to provide a gear list. Because realistically, we're doing this for ourselves. And if you're doing it for the love, then 
I don't care if you have a focus right. I've heard amazing things happen on a Digi 002. Uh, one, the Beatles Which is were a really, remas- really crappy interface microphone. Really, really, really old. Um, but here's a funny thing. The Beatles remasters that everybody raves were the best things ever to ever come out for remasters for the Beatles were done on Digi 192s which are also seen as some of the worst converters on the market. I'm just saying it's a poor workman that blames his tools, but it's a good workman that has the tools available to get the job done. Yeah, I think so. And I think I want to hit on the, the idea that you said adapting in the marketplace. So I think that also means, for example, um, we could go in so many directions with this. For example, like even in your marketplace, as far as like, how are you going to charge for your time? Is it going to be an hourly or per song or per project basis? Yeah. What is everybody around you? So now we're talking about the business side of it, right? How do you adapt your business to be, how do you say, uh, um, working in, in where you're at, in your situation? For example, I started my music career in small town, Utah. Now the town was small enough, but the music scene was thriving enough that I was able to make a living from it. Um, but at the same time I had to adapt. And when I moved out here to LA, like I'm adapting again and I'm learning a lot of different things about how workflow and sessions go, how communication goes. To be honest, um, this is a really weird thing. This is not meant to flex, but adapting with the idea of working with celebrities. Like before, if I was in Utah and I saw a celebrity, I would probably freak out low key, like low key freak out. But like you, that's another thing that I've had to adapt to is like not freaking out when they work with us, like you're a normal client. And and I think that's like, there's adaptability. And you can't, you cannot. The moment you get stuck in your ways is the moment that your business and your art will die. And I hate to say this, yep. um, but there's so many different ways to adapt. I mean, right now we're wearing, um, one of our favorite brands is Loud and Audio. They make yeah. awesome microphones. But this idea now, this concept of buying like a Slate or the um, the UA version. Oh, the or, Townsend Labs or the Ante- Yeah, the Townsend Labs or the, the Antelope version of like, modeling yeah. microphones i forget the antelope model. and then i know that Antares has the mic mod which is like old school but old they school, actually right? just updated it yeah there you yeah. go so i think that like is it better now now the question for you might become is it better to invest in a one thousand dollar modeling mic that can model hundreds of thousands worth of mic what microphones or is it better to just buy a single one thousand micro dollar microphone that does one sound but that does it really well or like a $3,000 microphone. And I think that us as engineers, we might side as like a, in a commercial space, there is a lot less clout and branding. And I hate to say it as a commercial space where people come and rent in our space, like the brand does matter. And the sound does matter a bit, but like maybe in your home studio situation, I genuinely think a Slate or the Townsend Labs or the Antelope will be better for your, for your purposes. And that's the thing, you gotta figure out how to adapt. And I love what you said about sometimes the way that you adapt is not the way you want to adapt. It's the way that the others want you to adapt. Sometimes exactly. you got to figure it out. And it's okay to think outside the box. There's actually someone this week that started a, uh, a venue where, where I was living before in Utah. Mm-hmm. And um, the venue, they do it in a totally different way. It's you rent the venue. So if you're a band trying to book, you book $50 an hour to be at the venue. You keep 100% of the ticket sales and they will record from the mixer a version of your a rough mixed down version and you get that free so you're almost paying for recording time nice. but with an audience yeah so it's like this genius that's a smart plan that's a really awesome yeah. adaptability thing um uh this is a few years ago i think this is before the pandemic bts the korean boy band yeah um 
made, uh, I think it was like $25 or like $35 or $25 if you're a VIP BTS fan club or whatever. $35 if you wanted to watch this live stream of this BTS album. Yeah. And they sold, they had hundreds of thousands of viewers that single night. That means they made like a couple, do- like a dozen or more million dollars from streaming, right? And and here's the thing. I'm not going to say any names, but I'm getting really passionate now. Is that there were <laughs> venues where I was from, that, that where I was in the last four or five years. There were venues out there in small town Utah that did one direction was to adapt into live streaming and adapt into taking donations through live streaming, whatever, right? Mm-hmm. To somehow still provide value. And there was another venue um, that only relied on please give us money because we're in trouble and they did not adapt. And to be honest, um, I hate to be extreme about this, but that company should go down. Like if you do not adapt, like you deserve to die as a business. Like that's kind of, that's honestly what it comes down so to. So cold. It's, it's really cold. And it's really hard. And I, I actually really wish that company really well. And I would never ever, but I'm saying that it shows where your heart is and it shows how much you're willing to like work because what the fact of the matter is surviving in the music business is not easy at all at all it moves too fast and it's way too competitive so if you aren't even willing to do something that's as simple as adapting that's a that's a whole nother issue yeah i'm done i'm done with my rant i'm sorry i got a little bit passionate there but (laughs) is there anything else you want to say yeah i mean realistically it just boils down to this you kind of have to understand where you are, where you want to be, and uh, move accordingly. You know, you want to be a professional, act as if. If you want to be, you know, a home studio, single artist, kind of no management kind of deal, that's fine. Honestly, uh, I think I brought him up before, but Austin White, a friend of mine, I give him credit for so much because he does his own marketing, does his own website, does his own videos, does his own photos, does his own production, does his own mixing, mastering, even recording. He's a one-man hustle. And not only that, he still runs a separate business where he actually helps marketing for other people. Um, I don't know if he's still doing that, but like I've seen the dude model, I think, for Red Bull. You know, Dude's making it happen on his own. He adapted to a marketplace that really has endless amount of uh, I guess, directions in which he can run. But he found the ones that worked for him and he's been able to pay his bills with it. He's managed to create an artistry that honestly I respect a lot. I like a lot of his music. I follow him all the time. Um, and every time he's releasing new content, I'm excited for it because the way he does it is so good. But he's doing all this without a manager in the marketplace where many artists are trying to break through, but it takes so much to break through. How are you adapting? What is it? What is it that makes you stand out as an artist? If that's your lane, go that lane. If you're a professional, talk to us. We can tell you about what it is to be professional. If you want to be independent engineer and you just want to work with independent artists, talk to us. We both did that. But realistically, adaptability is just understanding where you are and where you want to go. You know, nobody takes the wheel of a car and just drives straight. And never makes a left or right turn or has to hit a curve or anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. We don't just drive straight forever in life. So you have to adapt in everything we, you do. It's just a matter of knowing where you are, where you want to go, and what it takes to get there. And talking about adapting, the last thing that we'll say is the Mixing Music Podcast. We're so thankful for you listening. We, we just hit... Um, 40,000 listeners, which is absolutely awesome. And it's an amazing. Thank you so much. And I'm really proud to have been able to 
you know, together we've been able to make value for y'all. And um, I, I want to say that we as a show are constantly adapting. The beginning episodes are not what they are right now. Like now we post videos on YouTube as well of us talking. Like we're trying to do adapt more. Um, one of the few things that we'll see is in the future is potentially some more sponsorships as well as some more courses that we want to do, start giving out, as well as putting on free courses on YouTube. Um, today we were talking about the idea of developing our own plugins yeah. as well. and um, Our own curriculum so as well. So we got to figure it out, like curriculum, like yeah. Lou has experience building out curriculums for audio schools. Yeah. So where you're going to see us adapt as well and how we can provide more information to you at a better pace um, and it's much more efficient. So to be honest, like, cause we want to give you a reason to give us money. <laughs> <laughs> like that's, that's adapting. That's real. Yeah. Like that's not us being fake. Like that's real. Like having a professional career is the fact that you can actually call it a career. Have you go. ever met somebody who said I have a career in this and was never able to pay a single bill with it? Yeah. No. <laughs> <laughs> so I think with that, like on that note, like, um, I hope that you find ways to continue to adapt and never be ashamed of what you have and the tools you have. Like we're all blessed to be able to do music. Music is something that we can do forever. Um, it is something that takes a lot of time. It's something that is very competitive, but um, just do it because you enjoy it. Continue to do that. Adapt to where you can. And uh, happy mixing, my friends, and stay saucy. One, two, three. <laughs> If you'd like to take advantage of my free guides and online videos, please check out links.dkmixes.com. That's links.dekeimixes.com. Yo, what up? It's DK. Thank you so much for listening to the Mixing Music Podcast. I just want to do a quick plug about Antares and Autotune. Antares makes the original industry standard Autotune that we all know and love the sound of. We are sponsored by them, so if you visit mixingmusicpodcast.com backslash autotune, we do get a small kickback from every purchase. Thank you so much for supporting the show. Please enjoy this episode. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.